everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. We've got a special treat for you this week because we have our very first player interviews ever. And from the hints we've been dropping on Twitter, you've probably figured it out, but they are... Nikki Marshall and Nikki Washington. Um, we're talking to them because you and I uh, and everybody and their mom have probably noticed that there was a huge rash of player retirements this season. Gab, can you, can you, for $10,000, name all the players who retired this season? (laughs) All of the player retirements. I should do it in alphabetical order, but unfortunately I don't have them listed in alphabetical order. Um, We've got from the Boston Breakers, uh, three retirements, Nikki Washington, uh, Courtney Jones, and Jasmine Reeves. Um, From Chicago Red Stars, Taylor Bansell. Uh, from Kansas City, Nikki Phillips and Jenna Richmond. From Sky Blue FC, Coco Goodson, Jill Loyton. Um, and then from Portland, uh, Nikki Marshall um, retired this, this year. So, you know, something that we've been noticing uh, probably since January or February that there are a host of players um, leaving the NWSL. We wanted to, we wanted to actually ask some of the players that were retiring, like why? Um, so we reached out uh, to Nikki Marshall and Nikki Washington, um, and they were gracious enough to to give us a few minutes. And we fumble our way through uh, these interviews, but hopefully you you get something out of it. I know I certainly got plenty out of out of them. Um, mainly because we got to ask the questions, but hopefully we'll do more in the future. Yeah. Um... And if you guys have players you want us to try to interview or if you have specific questions, leave them as comments on the podcast and we'll try to do our best to fulfill those requests. Yeah, uh, we'll do our best to attempt to fulfill those requests. Yeah, we'll give it the old college try. Yeah, we'll we'll try our hardest not to stumble and fumble and, and make fools of ourselves. Although if you knew me in college, that's not the most reassuring promise I could ever give you. Uh, oh, and we're, we're also not drinking for this episode because um, everybody wants to get interviewed like during normal working hours. So I'm having water. Yeah, I just had a bunch of water too. Hydrate, stay healthy. Yeah, All yeah, because right. it is Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Oh God. Yeah. St. Yeah. Patrick's Day we're in Boston, bro. In Boston. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day in Boston. Talk about a dream come true for me. That's on my bucket list, man. It's not on mine. <laughs> it shouldn't be on your bucket list anymore. Anyway, first up, we have Nikki Marshall, formerly of the Portland Thorns. Everybody, we're here with our very first player interview ever, Nikki Marshall, formerly of the Portland Thorns. Hi, Nikki. How are you? Hello, I'm great. How are you? Um, I'm great. Probably not as good as you two, weather-wise, but. Um, so, Nikki, thank you for for coming on our our podcast. Uh, it's called Two Drunk Fans. We're obviously not drinking. It's the middle of the workday. But uh, we wanted to ask you, if we were at a bar and we could buy you a round, what's your go-to beverage? Uh, it depends on what city I'm in. I would say if I'm in Portland or Denver, it's going to be just a nice microbrew. Um, however, if I'm anywhere else, it's probably going to be a vodka tonic. A vodka tonic. Okay. 
Um, that's probably a little bit more up Steph's uh, alley than than mine. I, I don't I don't do the vodka drinks all that well. <laughs> we we wanted to just start the the conversation now by you announced your retirement uh, this spring, and and um, that's a bit of a bummer as a Portland Thorn fan, but. You know, um, we hope it was a, a solid a solid decision that you probably spent a lot of time um, thinking about. Just wanted to get a sense from you, kind of what went into that decision. What were some of the, the key the key factors, uh, and how how has life been? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest factor for me was just uh, the lifestyle and the lifestyle change that I was looking for. Um, you know, and then WSL we play because we absolutely love the game, and um, it's not necessarily a glamorous professional athlete lifestyle that you that you might think um and so for me I think I was just ready to not travel as much and kind of settle down and have a very steady stable job and um kind of look to the future a little bit more than than you are when you're playing in the NWSL kind of living moment to moment which is an incredible lifestyle and so unique but just you know I just was ready to kind of step away from that um and then also I tore my ACL obviously um in August of last year and um, I just, in my mind, I don't know if I was ready to come back and I'm sure that played a little bit into my decision as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was one of those things where as, um, I'm a, a Thorns fan, I'm a Thorns supporter, and it was kind of one of those injuries in the off season that you kind of always kept poking reporters about, like, what's going on with Marshall? Is, you know, how's recovery? How's all that different stuff? Um, and so, you know, uh, definitely something that the, the fans were paying attention to, um, now that you're you're you've stepped away for a little bit, we just kind of were wondering what's the hardest part about leaving soccer, or, or I guess what are the biggest benefits of retirement? Um, well, I mean, there's nothing like there's nothing like playing the game at an elite level. Like that is something I'll never have, whether I coach or I'm playing intramurals, or that's just for me. That's the hardest part, and and the camaraderie as well, just of my teammates, and they become your family. I mean, you live with these women for six months at a time, and sometimes longer and uh you know they become your absolute family um on the, on the flip side of that i am close to my blood family now they all live in colorado and so that's been huge for me my family is just my you know my rock and they're they've always been there and so being close to them and not missing out on weddings and graduations and all these big life events that i had to miss out on while playing soccer which is another huge sacrifice you make um, have definitely been the benefits and also just being able to kind of pour myself into my relationship now with my fiance and which I never did before soccer kind of always was a priority um, above him and so it's been a really cool transition and change for us. Congratulations by the way um, it's it's uh, it was always fun to do away travel and see the marshals and you know they'd come find us in the riveters and all that stuff so got got to hang out with your your family a, a couple of different times. Um, so, but, uh, it kind of sounds like being a professional soccer player is a little bit like being a rock star a little bit in, in the sense of, you know, you, you're not quite sure like what city you're going to be going to, like what the travel schedule is going to be like. It, it doesn't really have like that security or that foundation that, um, a lot of people look for with careers. It's just a little bit more like a younger person can kind of get by doing that for, for a little while. We just kind of wanted to get your perspective because you've you played in WPS, you played in the NWSL, you, you played in some of the um, amateur leagues. Uh, just want to get a sense from you, kind of what do you think the NWSL needs to do, or, or what what do you think like some of those linchpins are that would make it more attractive for a player like yourself 
to stick around a little bit longer. Because um, we are seeing a lot of players are retiring before the season. And, you know, it's definitely something everybody's thinking about. And it's like, okay, well, what, what would be a solution? Uh, just want to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, it's usually financial. And um, I think for me to keep me around, you know, until I literally was falling over and couldn't play anymore, I would need a stable environment, like you said. And um, I would like to be in the same place, that, you know, for for 10 months or, you know, a whole year. Um, we have a very short season, a six-month season, so we were there for six months, and then we have six months basically where we're not paid and we have to figure out, you know, some other job and train at the same time, which that's a full-time job in itself. Um, people don't quite understand that. Um, but I think those are the biggest things for me. And then I just think in order to make this league survive, there has to be a better business model. If you look at Portland, they're absolutely thriving. I mean, they're profiting, right? That team is bringing in money. And you don't see that really anywhere else. And I think that their business model, they're sitting in, you know, below the timbers, they're linked together, um, is huge. They market everything together. And I think that that's a great business model that we're kind of missing. And I know MLS teams don't necessarily want to jump on. Um, and I know it's expensive, but I, I think in the long run, that's the only way to go. So do you think then that MLS involvement should be a requirement for expansion unless like new team owners can prove that they're financially able to bear it for, you know, the next three to five years. Absolutely. If they can't prove that they, yeah, that they can't bear the burden for, you know, yeah, three to five years, I think is a great way to do it because, you know, if we make it past that three year mark, which I'm hoping this year might do it, then, you know, we might just slowly survive. It's going to be slow. That's how it is. The MLS had a very slow start. Um, and, and it's just, you know, it, it just takes some stability. You know, we get a solid few years in and people start hearing about us more and, that's going to be huge. So, yeah, it's it's one of those positions where um, even with like what Houston's doing, Houston's trying to model uh, the the Portland environment, and and Portland's a little unique. Like we we just have to acknowledge it's it's a unique soccer city, uh, and so it's really hard to be like everybody should be like Portland when yeah. in reality it's like you know what Kansas City is doing this year by getting a partnership with Sporting KC. Um, is going to be really helpful and really beneficial for them moving forward. It's definitely a model that we didn't see with WPS. We did a little research and we were around for WPS and now that you played a couple of years over there. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between WPS and NWSL? Like, did, did you see much of a difference? Obviously, you probably did between like Breakers and the Portland Thorns or whatnot, but just kind of want to get a sense of, from a player's perspective, the two different systems. Yeah, I mean, I think there's differences in every city. I was, I played in, I don't know if this is a good thing as a player to, to say, but I, I mean, I played in, what, five cities in the past six years. I was part of, you know, D.C., the, the Breakers at, at one time, Magic Jack, um, Western New York Flash. So I've been a part of all of them. And every, every team I've played for and every organization is different. Um, some are more professional, some are less professional. Uh, like you said, nothing compares to Portland. Um, it, it's just it's a special city, special people, special fans, special organization. Um, I would just love to see that elsewhere. I know it won't be quite to that magnitude, just like it is in the MLS. But even Seattle, you know, I don't think they're getting enough out of what they have as well. They have a very special city, and I, um, you know, I just don't. But yeah, I mean, as far as comparison goes, Portland is on a, a level of its own, and and everyone else is kind of just hanging on. I would say. Yeah, from from a as an employee perspective, or like when you played in WPS, um, teams were folding. 
it was probably a little bit different of a experience than in the NWSL where teams were talking expansion, we're talking slow growth and all of these different things. You know, what, what do you think needs to be there for the NWSL as a league for long-term viability? You know, uh, this is year three, WPS folded um, after year three, just kind of, uh, do, you, do you feel like it's a bit more positive um, or do you kind of feel like we're, we're in year three of women's soccer again? Let's, let's see what happens. Uh, the feeling I get as an employee is that it's positive. Again, I've been in the best atmosphere possible, so it seems right. positive to me. Um, and I mean, we haven't seen teams fold in the past two years, which is really good. We're talking about expanding, uh, in the WPS at this point, you know, we started the season off knowing that there was a good chance teams were going to fold during the season. Um, and I think, I think, uh, the NWSL has a bit more committed. I think the owners are more committed, uh, staff people are more committed, um, and really are, they're not just fans. They're not just people who have a lot of money. They're people who want to grow this, this sport and, and, grow the sport for women especially and uh, I think that's hugely important because if you don't if you don't have that element then it's very easy to just say like here's a lot of money and then when it runs out like I'm, I'm out you know so there's yeah. just much more to it do you get the feeling that part of that with the change in owners where before it was kind of maybe someone who had a lot of money and just wanted their own sports franchise as to now where you have owners who are honestly dedicated to the game do you think that's just a part of natural growth in women's soccer, or do you think the league made a conscious decision based on their past experiences? I think I think it is it is partly both. I think it's a part of you know it's natural growth, absolutely. And I think we've kind of weeded out the people um, who aren't there for the right reasons, um, and that that came via experience as well. Obviously, I mean you guys know the situation at Magic Jack and. I think the WPS and NWSL are now much more conscious of what, you know, the lawsuits that it can bring and the, and the things that can go on when you have an owner who's not not quite in it for the right reasons. Yeah, WPS was a was an interesting uh, area to kind of read about uh, in preparing for this conversation. So we were like, Magic Jack, can we talk about, like, can you even bring that up? Um, because it was so... It was kind of the millstone around WPS's neck in the end. Yeah, yeah. It's, being, it's not necessarily you know. like a positive element to to that entire league. And so it was one of those things where we were like, you know, what was that experience like? Not necessarily from an HR perspective or anything like that, but just living through that and, and kind of getting a sense of, okay, this, is, this could sink the ship. And it's really, really positive as a fan of the NWSL to hear that things aren't like that now. So yeah, thank no, you. no way. And I think, yeah, we definitely learned from that experience and it wasn't all horrible. I don't want to be, you know, I, I, Dan Borslow was an interesting person and um, it's just, it was an interesting experience. I learned a lot about myself throughout the process and um, you know, I would never go back and change it just because I learned so much about who I am and who, who my peers are and how to deal with certain personalities. And so it was good for me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and a slightly related question that we thought of that would be a little bit fun. You've played in front of some really excellent goalkeepers. Yeah. You played in front of Hope Solo uh, with Magic Jack. Um, you played in front of Anger last season, KK for the Thorns the first season. Just wanted to get a sense of, from you as, as a player, as, as a teammate, um, kind of what, what are some of the takeaways um, of working with them? From our perspective, very, three very different personalities, but from your perspective as a player, just kind of what, what was that like? 
Yeah, it's been an amazing experience. And I'll tell you, you didn't mention Erin McLeod, but I played for her my rookie season in front of her, um, which was probably the most positive, wonderful experience in front of a goalkeeper I could have had as a rookie. Um, I think what I learned from these goalkeepers, they're all they're all their own person. They're all just kind of a breed of their own. They're all incredible people, and they're just uh, leaders. They're bosses, really, on the field. They have to be, you know. And so I think the biggest takeaway I come from playing in front of those those keepers, world-class keepers um, that I'm so blessed to have been able to play in front of is just mostly leadership and uh, being able to communicate properly. And um, just also, I mean, most of the goalkeepers I've played with have been really strong personalities just even off the field and they're fun and um, just unique individuals. And they just bring so much to a team and the chemistry and um, so just all of that, I think, is huge in learning learning from them and playing in front of them. Who did you have the most fun playing in front of? Like, I guess, what was the one goalkeeper that you're like, I'd, I'd be on her team again? <laughs> I mean, that's a really tough question because, like you said, they're all just world-class goalkeepers, and I love all of them for different reasons. I, I don't think I could choose one out of those five. No, I was really expecting you to say KK. I, don't, <laughs> I, I do love KK. She's I was, I was just expecting KK to be like, well, I would do that again. <laughs> yeah, that was such that was such a fantastic season um, in 2013. Uh, you know what what you guys brought to Portland, what Merritt Paulson brought to Portland um, when he when he purchased the Thorns was something real special. And uh, you know it's it's definitely one of those things that one of the reasons why Steph and I decided to do this podcast was just to be like, let's get women's soccer out there more like let's just nerd out about it and talk about the season on a weekly basis or something like that and how how do you imagine being able to spread women's soccer like I guess where do you see it in like five years let's say we make it past year three there's a year four do you see it kind of like the WNBA do you see it kind of like the MLS um, just on like a slow growth sort of thing it is just like a thing for girls or like what we saw in Portland is it didn't matter the gender of the kids everybody was looking up to you guys yeah I mean that's where I would like to see it in five years uh, you know where we just have this incredible fan base and I'll tell you when I was in Portland I felt I was the only place really besides DC I felt like a professional athlete we could walk into a restaurant and someone would buy us some pizza because we're thorns or you know, just an incredible experience. And that's where I, I kind of hope to see soccer going. Um, not not selfishly, but just uh, because I want to be, we want to be role models to these young women. And um, the more they know about us, the more that they we can inspire them and be on a platform to do so. So, uh, yeah, those are the biggest things for me. And um, I, I guess just having having a fan base in every city that we're in and really having people just like this talk being able to talk about soccer and know the women's game and know who's playing and I mean I coach 14 year old girls and they know one name they know Alex Morgan you know or Abby Wambach so you know we want them to know to know everyone and to follow the game and and have a vision and you know so and and I think uh I think fans have a big role in that and bringing friends to games and bringing family members to games and just trying to, to get people stuck in early on. I know that that's, that was a big thing in Portland, you know, that first year, just if you're a fan of the Timbers, just go to a Thorns game, see, see how you like it. And a lot of people bought season tickets and came absolutely. back. Yep. And I think people would, I think they would absolutely enjoy it if they, you know, and it's just, it's good for young girls. It's good for young boys too, you know, teach them to respect women. So. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you're coaching. Are you doing like any sort of uh, camps or programs or anything that you want to tell people about? 
Um, I'm not doing any camps right now. I'm just about getting to my knee being completely healed again. So yeah. um, as soon as I feel ready to go again and I can get part of coaching is getting on the field and playing with the kids. And um, I want that I want that piece of it before I really get into anything. So nothing yet, but maybe in the future. Uh, what age groups are you are you coaching? So I coach a JV uh, high school team right now. Um, I have mostly freshmen, sophomores, a few juniors. And then I'm doing lots of individual training with North Area Rush, um, which is a club here in Denver. And um, that's just age group, all all age groups, really. So, How high would you want to go with the coaching? Like, would you want to get into the national system eventually? Um, I don't know if I'm cut out for coaching as a career, uh, just because I my fiance is a teacher and it's coaching is also a very difficult lifestyle. It's no weekends. It's working, you know, after hours every night. Um, as much as I love the game, I can still coach and not have to have, you know, have those hours. And so I think for me, it's not necessarily conducive of the relationship that I want and the family that I, I hope to have eventually. So for me, probably not as much of a coaching career path, but just kind of keeping my hand in the game and, and loving it and giving back as much as I can. And, you know, who knows, maybe someday Denver would be a, an expansion team. In the, I know, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love Denver. Um, I actually, uh, I work with colleges and universities professionally, and CU Boulder is one of my schools. And so I, I go out there a couple times a year, and it's just gorgeous. I, oh, that's I, awesome. Yeah, it's a great place. I love this state. Yeah, yeah. Colorado is just fantastic and lovely and dry. So much different than Portland. Um, okay. We have another fun question, not soccer related. I'm going to let Steph ask it though, because she's a little bit more into it than I am. <laughs> yeah, we just but... like to, we like to end the podcast on kind of a fun note. So we came up with a question. So who of the people that you've played with do you think would win the Game of Thrones? And <laughs> who would end up getting beheaded by Joffrey? <laughs> oh man, those are kind of difficult questions. I think... <laughs> Everyone in this league is just so competitive. It would be, it would just be competitive no, no matter what. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here. I would say maybe Rachel Bueller would get beheaded just because she's a sweetheart and <laughs> she has like no mean bone in her body. Um, and who would win? I, mean, I would say probably the most competitive person I've ever met that will do anything to win is Megan Klingenberg. <laughs> really? Wow. Yes. Yeah, I see it. She could, you know, some martial arts destroy yeah, her exactly. enemies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Well, Nikki, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us. It was really awesome that you were our first player interview ever. Yeah, and thanks for having me. And thank you guys for what you're doing for the game. It's, I mean, this is this is where we start. We're the pioneers. So I just, I hope that it continues to grow. And I'm grateful for you guys who are willing to, you know, really dive into women's soccer. So that, once again, was our very first player interview ever. Sorry, Nikki Washington. Nikki Marshall got there first. <laughs> she uh, she was fantastic. You know, it's it's one of those awkward uh, situations for us, I think, to, to ask players to, to, at least it was for me, to be like, so I do a podcast called Two Drunk Fans. Would you mind coming on and talking to me? Um, but she was great. Uh, I think she provided a lot of sight um, as to why we're seeing a lot of players leave and stability is like number one reason uh, for her anyway. Um, so, you know, thank you again, Nikki uh, and next. We're going to jump back across the, the country uh, and talk to Nikki Washington.
We are here with Nikki Washington, who is now our second player we've ever interviewed. Sorry, Nikki Washington, you are second to Nikki Marshall. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, thank you for coming on our show. Thanks uh, for having me. Just to start off, kind of a looser question. It's happy hour. We're buying. You can have any drink you want. Name the show's Two Drunk Fans. So what would you order? Um, Vodka water with double lime. Or water. <laughs> or water. Wow. Or water. When when you when you were out in Portland, uh, did you go to many of the breweries or, or make it to the wineries? Um. Yeah. Actually, our assistant coach John Gallus, his parents live on a winery, own a winery, so wow. we got to go there and enjoy some of that. Um. And I'm actually not a beer fan, but I did taste a lot of different types of beer from my friends that just have like a sip here and there to All confirm right. that it's disgusting but, uh, <laughs> it's 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 not for everyone but at least at least you're in portland we've got some good beer here so you know it wasn't just like bud light or, or budweiser or anything like that oh no I, I love i love portland absolutely awesome awesome so um speaking of portland uh, i used to play there and then you moved over to boston which is you know, pretty big haul. It's 3000 miles. Um, yeah. so what was it like adjusting? It wasn't, it was new city, new weather, new coach, new team. What was it like? Yeah. Well, luckily, um, well, I've, I have I a mean, lot of experience. Yeah. You've been here before. Places. So it, you know, every new place is a new experience and I, I've, I was able to adjust pretty quickly because of, like I said, my experience living and moving before. Um, and specifically with Boston, I had a stint earlier in my career with them, so I kind of knew what to expect. Of course, a different coach, different year from year to year changes so much, but at least I had um, an idea of what the city was like, and my brother lives in Boston, who I'm really close with, so it was, you know, it's all pretty much a great, easy transition, um, and you know a lot of the players, so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, and you, you know, knew some of the players like Alyssa Nair before from the U20s, right? Oh, yeah, there's, I mean, I can't really go to a team without having some sort of significant <laughs> history with at least a couple, a handful of the players, so, yeah. Well, now that you talk about, you, know, you were with the Breakers in WPS, I remember that, and now in, in NWSL, so um, it's probably even more informative coming from you comparing the two leagues, like, do you feel there's been growth from one league to the next? Does NWSL feel more positive than WPS did, especially at the end? Um, well, yeah, of course, definitely at the end since it's in existence altogether. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the starting point is noticeably different. I think um, even just within, you know, free agency in, in WPS compared to NWSL. Um, there's less player rights from the get, um, which is, you know, I know it's mimicking MLS a little bit in that way, um, which is funny because they obviously just had almost a strike. Um, and, um, yeah, there's, but there is more stability in terms of longevity, I think, just with the backing of all these federations. Um, but um, you can also tell... We had, I think there's a lot more international players in WPS. I mean, to be frank, I think the the level was a little bit um, higher in WPS just because we were able to get more international players. And 
I don't know. There, there was just like when you think that we had in WPS, there, it, there is a difference. Um, so many of the teams now are young, whereas back then there was, um, you know, Marta and Sala. Yeah, Sala and uh, there's just so many other international players. Yeah, we had like Kelly Smith and Alex Scott Kelly on the Breakers. Smith, yeah, they they were on Breakers with me. So yeah. there's just all these players, but at the same time, I think this is um, more sustainable. This is a good starting point, and I think it's important for us to realize it is just a starting point, and hopefully we're on the same page that, it, you know, it's crucial for it to grow. Well, speaking of younger players and stability and a starting point, this season, though, we did have a lot of retirements, including from the Breakers, you know, with you and Courtney Jones and Jasmine Reeves, and a lot of them were talking about how they just couldn't maintain uh the life that they needed for to be a soccer player so for you um what has retirement been like and can you kind of go into the factors that were responsible for your retirement yeah um I think I think obviously every player's journey is different um and everyone's experience is different and um I think when making such a big decision no matter what age, no matter what point in your career, it's going to be a difficult one. So with that, of course, there was a million factors, um, but I guess to name a few of the biggest ones, um, you know, it's hard to really put it into just like bullet points, I guess, but I think for me personally, um, when I'm having a hard time uh, being happy, and it's it's a sign for me that something needs to change. And I think this was the most tangible change. And I absolutely love the game. And I, once I realized that playing the game wasn't the only way to be a part of it, um, I thought, you know, moving on was a great option. And, you know, I've had, I've had a really good career. I've experienced a lot. Um, and I didn't know how much more I could get from soccer. And... I equally feel that I gave a lot to the game um, itself. So I think our, our relationship, our relationship with me and soccer had come to, I mean, as much as it was going to become. We gave each other as much as we could from a player, um, from a player standpoint. So how are you staying involved with the game in that case? Yeah, well, uh, well, one option that I'm looking into um is coaching, of course. Um, really enjoyed that coach off and on throughout, as long as I can remember. I mean, even when I was in college during summers, I was, you know, giving individual skills, doing camps and all of that. And it's something I've always enjoyed and um, so much fun. Um, and then, of course, just playing, jumping in, pick up. That really is just as rewarding. Um, I, just, I just love the game, I guess. Uh, do you think you would want to get like a, a high level license so you could maybe get in on the national level coaching? Yeah, I definitely am not closing myself off to any options. Um, I want to pursue coaching the way I pursued playing, which is to the best of my ability. And wherever that takes me, that's where it takes me. But um, I'm definitely, that's definitely an option I'm, I'm looking into and just see where that where that ends up. What do you think the league would have to offer players in order for it to be viable for them to stay, you know, in, in longer careers or to prevent, you know, like Jasmine Reeves, she said she had an offer she couldn't refuse from Amazon. So what would have to happen? 
you know, I think that, I think it's funny. I think that, um, honestly, I, for me personally, I think something that would go a long way because I think we're all in this position where none of us are obviously in it for the money. Um, it's all for the love of the game. So I think, honestly, just more thoughtfulness, more care for, for the players, um, for all players, um, not just national team players, but for all the players, maybe even more so players not on the national team because that makes up the meat of the league probably. So um, I don't know, just some ideas that I you know I've thought about this maybe a little bit. And even if just a brainstorming session, just to try and think like maybe they bring in someone to give coaching courses. So when you leave the league, you don't just have, you know, a small pot of money, but you have, I mean, or a small pot of change, but you have these licenses that you can carry with you. Things like a lot of players would like to go into coaching. So I think it'd be really easy. I mean, U.S. Federation is a part, they partner with NWSL. So how much trouble would it be? I, I honestly don't know this, but how much trouble would it be for them to come in, um, have someone run a C license co- uh, coaching course so people get licensed or, I don't know, just making things just like small benefits because we, we know we're fully aware um, that this is a beginning league. So just like not even monetary benefits, but just on a human level um, for things that we can take away with us since we're not going to be able to take away much other than our experience. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like a, a diverse skill set, or, or yeah. kind of like just, you know, giving you guys um, something you can put on a resume. That's not just like pro soccer player. But I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head with like licensing. Um, I think that that's huge mainly because then you guys can, can help like with the development of youth programs in the area and stuff like that and start contributing to the, the community. I know, um, you know, one of the concerns is the season's so short. What are you going to do the other like six months of the year? Exactly. And and with that, for, for me personally, obviously I've been um, the butt of a lot of trades. Um, and so, which, which I know a lot of people will say, well, that's, that's the nature of professional sports. And I a hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Um, but for me and my, like, I, I would like to see some sort of rule or clause or whatever have you that until you make X amount of dollars, um, maybe you're not even eligible for a trade because it, it, they're not, they don't, they don't, you, you as a player lose stability, you lose financially, you lose everything when you're being traded and you're not being compensated in any way, not monetarily, not lifestyle. So I think they, I would like to see them compromise a little bit more in that, you know, we, they, they sacrifice as much as the players are sacrificing. A real quick follow-up question, Steph. I know, I know you have another one, but um, just real quick follow-up question. You, you, brought up player rights in WPS. Um, that was something that isn't existing right now within the NWSL. Do you, do you have like firm um, examples of what some of those player rights are? Because I, I know from our perspective as fans, we're, we know it's, it's bare bones. We know it's startup. We know that, you know, there's not a lot being put into it, um, but we don't know very much about kind of what's going on behind the scenes. And not that we necessarily need to see behind the curtain, but uh, that's really interesting that you brought up player rights. Right. Um, well, what it is is that 
or at least what I understand it to be. Um, well, <laughs> the best way I put it is there's no such thing as free agency or not complete free agency. So after you serve your contract, your existing contract, if the team wants you, um, they pretty much get you. They have uh, a first right of a refusal. Um, and you can you can uh, appeal it, but then it goes to the the league, to the commissioner, whoever it is that makes the decision. And, and if it's a reasonable offer from the club, then you have to accept it or sit out a year. So, and whether it's one year, six months, or three months, or whatever, it changes from player to player. But um, essentially, once that contract's up, you're a free agent. Or one in when we were in the WPS, you were a free agent, which means you could search the market. You could basically pick a team, and if they wanted you, you got to be there. Whereas here, once you serve your contract, the team practically has first right of refusal if they want you. And if they don't want you, they are then then you can go and pick a team and whatever. But if they want you, then you don't really have too many options besides to like try and get treated or something. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Thank you for that. Um, continuing within player protection, uh, mm-hmm. last season at the uh, end of the breaker season, I heard you talk about the need for a players union. So would that be something that interests you as a former player to help create and you know, what would it take to make a players union and how close is the league to that? Do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know exactly how close it is. I know that they're working on one and I think, I think it'd be good because I, I do think that this is the league is promising. I don't think having a players union doesn't mean anything's going wrong. It's just that there's players and they need a voice and there needs to be communication. So, um, I definitely think there should be one, um, to represent the players and, and just overall to help move the league forward um, and where they are with that. I'm honestly not sure. I know it's definitely in the talks and in the works, um, but I'm, pro- I'm probably not the best person as for the status of that. Um, yeah. Well, just for people who are listening who haven't thought about it, then what kind of protection does a union for the players offer? It's, the union is basically a voice for the players. So whatever issues you have, they're the mediator. Um, basically, there's like a representative on each team and then a union representative um, and usually a lawyer is involved with that. Um, maybe a play a player union representative and then maybe like a lawyer for guidance. Um, and they, they communicate with the commissioner or whoever's making the rules of the league to help just so players have a voice in that and that it's being communicated clearly and being heard and hopefully to make effective change representation. And and it probably creates some sort of consistency um, uh, amongst player experiences on different teams. Uh, I know your experience in Boston is probably a little bit different than the experience you had in Portland. And so a players union would probably help kind of try to level that out a little bit, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, and I think I think all of these normals all, all of these issues are very normal at this stage. I mean, this is literally the start it hasn't even kicked off year 3. Um so yeah, there's definitely a whole wide range of experience. I mean, you can literally talk to players on different teams and think you you're speaking different languages or different sides of the world. Um and and I, and yeah, I think that's just the nature of it. And so yeah, maybe the players union will 
help with that. But hopefully that doesn't bring the top teams down. Hopefully it just helps to bring those up and um, see and learn and learn. I, I would like for there to, yeah, I'd, I'd like for there to be more communication within the league and within the teams. Like, you know, obviously Portland's doing something right. So what can we learn from them? Not even just, it's not just because they have the most money, the most infrastructure. There's a professionalism there that a lot of teams could learn from that has nothing to do with money. And that's what I would like to see from the league. The things that don't have to do with money, how can we make that better? Because that's just effort. So what are you working on right now? Are there any uh, camps or projects that you're involved with? Um, no, I'm just trying to figure out what's next. And um, yeah, that's about it. I'm having fun living living life without soccer. I'm um, excited to follow. I, I love the game and I'm so thankful for my experience in the NWSL and with Boston and Portland and all the teams I was a part of. And I'm really grateful that I got to experience and be a part of two great leagues. And I know that we'll continue to build on it. And I'm really proud of, of soccer, women's soccer in America and where we're headed. And um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited for, for them and for myself for what's next. I actually just went snowboarding because I haven't been able to do that since playing soccer because I didn't want to get hurt. But I went on a snowboarding trip and enjoyed that. So that's that's what I'll be doing next, is you know, trying to enjoy and indulge in these things I haven't been able to before. It's got to be pretty fun to, to retire, uh, retire in quotes, mm-hmm. so so early. You know, you're, you're, you're not doing the, the typical retirement stuff, just kind of enjoying things, I'd imagine. Where'd you get to go snowboarding? Uh, I went to Colorado. Um, did it I did I did it right (laughs) um yeah and that's a that's another thing I I wanted to I've had knee issues and I wanted to walk away um doing exactly that walking I wanted to be able to walk away from it um and be able to have a quality of life afterwards um so I you know I was able to go snowboarding and I was really thankful that I had no problems with my knee leaving and I'm you know, no side effects. So I'm, I'm really happy with my decision. Um, yeah. And I, and I think my, my decision isn't only about the state of the league, um, but I think it was also a personal decision. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Snowboarding in Colorado is definitely a step up from snowboarding anywhere around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was so much fun. I loved it. So to close out the show, we like to end on a fun note, although I don't know how fun this question is going to be for you, okay. but um, who of all the people that you've played with would win the Game of Thrones, and who do you think would end up getting executed by Joffrey? Um, okay, so you might shoot me, but I bet you know where this is going. I've never watched that. Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, well then let's modify the question. Okay. Uh, in a zombie apocalypse, who do you think is going to come out doing pretty well, like as your leader in the zombie apocalypse, and who's going to get left behind to get eaten? um okay well actually person that would get left behind to eat would probably be nikki marshall because she would volunteer herself because she's the sweetest person ever she's like no go ahead she would just completely sacrifice herself (laughs) like that would be my genuine answer even if she wasn't on really earlier um and then who would be the leader um ooh, this is hard i'm trying to think about the craziest psychotic person weirdest <laughs> person that i know um yeah okay maybe i would say 
Lauren Cheney. She's uh she's definitely protective and tough tough girl. That is a fantastic answer. Wow. And with with those muscles, I think she could knock everyone out the way. Yeah, I think soccer players in general will be fine because you guys are all physically fit. And meanwhile, yeah, the rest those, of us we have those thunder thighs. Yeah, you could just run. All you you just need to be faster than the slowest person. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'll be watching and following the WSL. We talked to two Nikki's. We, uh, we learned a lot about player experiences. Um, Nikki Washington uh, has has a few few ideas uh, about player unions um, and you know kind of creating opportunities within within the teams. I, I, I thought it was a really educational conversation. I thought so too. It kind of struck me as similar to the conversation people have about student athletes, which is, what do they do after college? So many of them come out of there and all they were, all they did was, you know, work out, practice, play, repeat, and they didn't get time to study um, or they weren't given opportunities to develop life skills that would enable them to get a paycheck outside of sports. So what, what do they do? And I thought this was strikingly similar. And I was also kind of interested in the implications of, you know, taken as a whole, you kind of get the sense that, I'm not saying the league doesn't protect its smaller players, but that the league could do better. I'm talking about players, you know, who don't get that allocation money. Well, I think I think we've always um, said that the league could do better, and I think it's always been understood that the league needs to do better. But a big uh, talking point or a big um, kind of hurdle for the league is sustainability and making sure they have the right ownership groups involved making sure they have the right, you know, monetary or, you know, financial structures in place. You know, ownership groups was something that, that Nikki Marshall talked a little bit about. And then, you know, essentially getting that to filter down uh, to player um, development, but not just from a physical uh, standpoint, not from just a on-the-pitch standpoint, but probably an overall, like, um, HR-type uh, professional development um, that, that players could use or players might might see as, as necessary uh, for, for getting a position, getting a job outside of, of being a professional athlete. A lot of development is needed in the NWSL still. What I also got from both of them is that the players are realistic. I mean, they they had ideas for what eventually would be a great situation, like 10-month-long season, stability, not getting tossed around so much. I especially liked... Nikki Washington's idea about not being traded until you made X amount of dollars in a place. But at the same time, everyone just seems realistic. And there's an understanding here that for a while, we're just going to have to accept early player retirement as the cost of a startup league. High turnover. Yeah. And, you know, players are, are pitching in. Um, you know, at some point, I think everybody's going to want uh want to see a change and want to see growth and all of these different things. And, you know, year three, I think year three is starting out um, on some positive notes, despite 
player retirement. It's not like we are short players. There are a lot of players in camps. There are a lot of players who are going to be new faces in this league. But I think it's really important to not see this retirement uh, level increase and for hopefully it to taper off and, and uh, that'll, that'll be another sign of strength within the NWSL. If I'm being optimistic, I think a lot of the terms that we discussed today as being optimal aren't going to happen until the league's maybe 10 years old. Do you think it's going to be a shorter uh, time than that? I, I mean, I, I, think, I think 10 years is, is pretty mature. I would say, you know, after this World Cup Olympic cycle, um, year five is going to be the next year when the NWSL won't have a summer uh, international competition that, you know, is going to be drawing players or drawing crowds or whatever. Uh, I think year five is going to be huge and that there should be some significant benchmarks for where should the NWSL be at year six. Yeah, um, what, what should those targets be at year five? So year six, we can actually start doing things because five and six are the two years that, you know, we really have to develop and get get uh, to that next level. Yeah, five and six are when we put in the work so that come the next World Cup cycle, we're a lot stronger than we are in this season. I think you're right. Yeah, so 10, 10 is way out there. I mean, if we get to 10, stuff is already in place. Five and six have to be the years where, where, you know, we're really seeing change. We're really seeing gears moving and, and this becomes a machine. But here's the thing that I think differentiates this from WPS is that I feel almost confident that we will see year five. Because by this time in WPS, we'd seen so many clubs fold, you know, and the league had shrunk down and things were going haywire. But at this point, all the teams have come back heading into this season. So I I just feel better about it generally. I'm not going to say we will see season five. I, I'm not going to jinx us like that. I would never do that to you and WSL. <laughs> well, the next two years are really, really important. Yeah. Um, because we want to get to year five. We, wanna, we want to, to be in a position where we actually have expectations and we actually have like a list of demands for year six. Um, but it's also being realistic like the players. I mean, that was those were two very level-headed people that we talked to today who would probably still be playing if money were no object and if if there was stability and if, you know, they 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 had dreams of, of being pro soccer players. We didn't really talk about that because you know, everybody can write that article that they started playing when they were, you know, 8 or 12 or whatever and fell in love with the game. Um, but what we want to talk about is why, what are, what are the issues that um, made this decision the right one for them? And I, I think, I think we got that. Yeah, I think so too. So to end the podcast on uh, a fun note, like we like to do, obviously, I was surprised by some of the answers they gave to the fun questions at the end. I was not expecting Megan Klingenberg from Nikki Marshall. I I was not expecting Nikki Marshall to be the first to go in this zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Um, what I what I really appreciate about the first to go responses of both Rachel Van Hollebeck and Nikki Marshall, both really strong defenders. Real strong defenders are the first to go in a zombie apocalypse or in Game of Thrones. I think it's a combo of they're the nicest people ever. And right? especially zombie apocalypse, Nikki Marshall would make the zombies work for it. You know, she would buy everybody a lot of time to escape. 
True, true. It would be it would be the good for everyone. I was not surprised by Lauren Holiday. No. Lauren Holiday is one bad motherfucker. Right? Yeah. I would not I I would never ever ever mess with her. So ever. Gab, let me ask you, who do you think is the first to get eaten in a zombie apocalypse and who do you pick to lead everyone, you know, into Canada or whatever wherever it is that's safe from zombies? Um, I think you are first to be eaten, and I think I would make it to No, Canada. among players, and I am oh. not the first to be eaten because I have apocalypse plans in place already. Um, within the league, uh, the first to go would probably be, oh man, it would probably be like Megan Rapino. She would put up a, a decent fight with everyone else, but she would finally just be like, fuck it. Do you think she'd be taking an Instagram of herself and that's how they catch her? She's like... Oh, they, she'd be Instaing. She would be taking an artsy photo of, like, the highway, deserted highway or something like that. The one who would make it or the one who would lead... Dude, Captain America, Christy Rampone. Oh, yeah. Like, um, she she would lead them all to safety. I would follow her. Yeah, I'd follow Christy Rampone. I'd die on a battlefield for Christy Rampone. What, uh, how would you respond to that? So, first to go, well, if we're going by, like, you know, who would volunteer to give themselves up, maybe Julie Johnston? By all accounts, she's a real sweetheart. She's just a real sweet kid. And once again, she's a tough defender. She would be like a Lauren Chaney, though. Okay, here's what would happen then. Julie Johnston would volunteer to stay behind so that everybody else could escape. But at the end of the movie the air vent clangs open because Julie Johnston kicks it in. She drops out of the ceiling and she's like, oh, hey, yeah, I totally survived. Sure. Sure, you can have it all the ways. Yeah. Yeah, I can. And who would lead everybody to safety? Christine Sinclair. (laughs) Okay. I think an apocalypse would bring out the best in her. I think an apocalypse would make her be like, okay, not all of us are going to survive. So... I'm taking the top 10 people with me. <laughs> you think Sink would get ruthless in an apocalypse and be like, you, you, and you. Oh, yeah. Dead weight. Oh, yeah. I think, she, I think she would be like, okay, you can't, like, this is going to be our way. My way or the highway. You in? So she'd make some really tough decisions. It, God, this is like the 100. Just some of us are going to have to die. I, I, I haven't watched that show at all. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Gab thinks that Christine Sinclair would select the weakest to die and would ruthlessly leave them behind so that the strongest survivors could get away. This is correct. That, wow, that is harsh. It is correct. That is a correct statement. Okay. Well, I guess all that's left now is to wait for the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Let's see. Let's see how this works out. Assuming that uh, the zombies can't go north because they like freeze in the winter, I will meet you in Winnipeg. (laughs) 